how about we begin this new series called Baggage? So in the series, we're going to identify some of the heavy things that, that tend to weigh us down. We'll learn that our luggage is often filled with emotions that sometimes we're even unaware of. But God wants us to exchange those burdens by trusting him to heal and to restore and to release us so that we can experience the freedom that he offers us. And in, in this series, we'll be taking a lot of our cues from a book entitled Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. If you guys want to get that book and read along, you're going to hear a lot of uh, parallels from the book as we uh, go through this series every week. But it's by a man named Peter uh, Scazzaro. Uh, who in this book makes a very strong statement. He says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so as Christians, we're to grow in both. And so we are noticing that in our discipleship, um, in addition to teaching biblical truths, we also want to help walk people through their emotional health and emotional life as well, because if we are Christians and we say we trust the God who controls everything, then our emotions will, will, will mirror that and show that. But um, today we're going to talk about um, a character in the Bible that I think we're going to uh, really connect with. I do, at least. Um, but I grew up in a family of athletes. I was the youngest child of five. All my brothers and sisters were playing sports, and my sisters, when they weren't playing sports, they were cheering on like a cheerleading squad. So they were always busy. And so you can imagine uh, my brothers were football stars, and so by the time I came up, eyes were on me like, will he be the same? You know, so a little bit of pressure. Um, but the difference between me and my siblings was I, I like to try everything. And I wasn't good at all sports, but I'd still like to try them out anyway. And so of all the sports that I tried, football was my favorite, but the least favorite for me was wrestling. Do we have any wrestlers in the house who wrestled? Okay, the thing that I, a couple of things I hated about wrestling, and number one was the singlet that you had to wear. It's like a onesie for an athlete. And I tell you what, when you put this thing on, it tells your whole business. You know, it. so that was always uncomfortable and weird. Just everybody knew your situation at all times, <laughs> you know, and then but the other thing that I didn't like about wrestling was how hard it was. Extremely grueling. You use every ounce of energy, every muscle in your body. It's the most, uh, it's the most energy zapping sport that I've ever part uh, partook of. And it was so hard that I found myself after practice, going home and not having anything left, like not being able to do my homework, not being able to, I used to like to uh, follow, you know, certain TV shows. I could, I didn't have the energy to even watch TV shows. And for a teenager who works so hard, there would be times I get home and I'm too tired to even eat. That tells you how hard this is. It was so hard that I tried out for wrestling two years in a row and both years I dropped out because that's how hard it was. And in this sport of wrestling, I think there are parallels that we can draw to life. Because in life, sometimes things get so hard and tiring. And you, all of a sudden, you don't have a lot of room for, for other things. You don't have the energy 
to do other things. And so we're going to get into the Bible here. I think there's a perfect parallel between real wrestling and wrestling through life. Because when we start to experience those things, the hope is that we notice. And that above all, we'll notice that we need to change. And so as we struggle through things, the hope is that you identify it and that you will strive and you'll desire to have change. And so there's no shortage of stories in the Bible that capture these type of life struggles. And the great thing about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't whitewash the stories of these characters to present them as perfect. The Bible is very good about telling every juicy detail about what they did right and what they did wrong. And so, I mean, if you were to start from the very beginning of the Bible, you could just pick each character apart. You could start with Noah, who built an ark to save all of humanity. But if you know the story, you know that he got drunk and did some pretty freaky deaky things. Okay? It's in the Bible. I'm not making that up, and I'm not trying to be <laughs> next. <laughs> There's Noah, right? Oh, no, did I say Noah? Abraham. He was the father of many nations, but he was also a pretty bad liar. You got Moses, the deliverer of God's people, but he was also a murderer. And then you can go along in the, in the timeline and Pick up on David, the, the man after God's heart. But he was also an adulterer. And to cover up what he did, he sent the husband into battle to die, to try to cover up and hide what he did. And so we have these characters who have, say, baggage. They have baggage. They go through things in life, and these things tend to weigh down on you, especially when you have to carry them all the time. And despite their baggage, God used them anyway. And I want you to know that you guys are sitting in a church right now. A church that will tell you you don't have to be perfect to be a part of God's plan and a part of God's purpose. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what your past looks like, God has plans for you. So today we're going to look at the life of somebody called Jacob. How many know the story of Jacob? And the Bible says he was a wrestler. Um, it's not part of our uh, notes, so uh, to the tech team upstairs, don't try to find it. I just want to read real quick, Genesis 25, 21. Before Jacob was even born, him and his twin brother were in the womb. And the Bible says that uh, his father Isaac prayed on behalf of his wife because she was barren. She was childless. And then all of a sudden she conceives, she has twins. And then in the very next verse, she says, they are tussling, they are wrestling. They're jostling in my womb. What did I do to deserve this? And so we see that Jacob and his brother were already going at it before they were even born. If there's any one person in the Bible that I think we can relate to, or maybe it's just me, but it's Jacob. And the reason why is because Jacob was complicated. Anybody complicated here? Whether you admit it or not. <laughs> Some people are like, mm, let me think. So you're already confused. All right? But we went through all these characters. Let me just say this. If you are complicated, if you do got baggage, you got a whole lot of good company in the Bible. Okay? 
So, that's right. <laughs> so let's dive into the complicated life and the conflicts of Jacob. There's at least three things that I think we'll be able to relate to when it comes to the way that he lived his life. For Jacob, his issues obviously started early, before birth. But then when he actually came into the scene, very early, literally at birth, Genesis 25, verse 26, it's a short verse, and then I want to park here just for a second. It describes Jacob's life when he and his twin brother Esau were born to his mom, of course, who was barren for many years. And then at that moment, like some other characters that we know of in the Bible, they were too old to give birth or to have children, but God miraculously allowed them to conceive. And so Jacob and Esau are born. And here's what it says in verse 26 of Genesis uh, chapter 25, verse 26. It says, afterward, his brother came out. So Esau was the older one. His brother came out with his hand holding Esau's foot. So you can see that there was already a competition going on between him and his brother as they were being born. We're going to get into this a little bit. You guys know that I, a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to Israel. That trip has changed my life. I cannot look at the Bible the same anymore. And so I was able to, you know, glean from, from people who lived in that culture. You know, I tell people this, and I promise I'll show some pictures, probably not this week, just because there's too much in this message, but I'm going to share about my trip. Um, but, you know, I, I tell people, if I can sum up the trip in in, in short words, it would be this, where I, I preach the Bible, I talk about the Bible, I teach the Bible. When I was in Israel, I walked the Bible. I was able to go to the sites and, and to apply what I know to now what I see and, and the culture in which it came out of was, it was an amazing experience. And so if you, what you don't realize, even though Jesus is our, our Messiah, the Jewish people don't believe that he's the Messiah. They, this is what they say. When Jesus returns, our question to him is going to be, is this your uh, first time or second time? That's what the Jewish people are going to ask him. <laughs> okay, is this your first trip or is this your second? Because that's going to prove whether he's the Messiah or not. So they're not, quite, they're not quite there. But I got to talk to some of these guys, even rabbis. Uh, and there's a relationship that God is building between Jewish people and uh, Christians all over the world. We're, we are a part of the... Uh, of the messianic prophecy where the Bible says that all nations will go through Israel. We are the all nations part. The Jewish part was already taken care of. And the fact that we exist, that is part of the fulfilling of that prophecy that they look out for. But there's a building of that relationship. So I got to talk to some of these um, people who practice Judaism. I got to talk to some of the rabbis who teach it. And so I was able to glean some really, really cool stuff um, about this story in particular. And so we know that Jacob means heel grabber, right? It means supplanter. It means to usurp. And really, if I can boil that down to easier words, it really means to take something that doesn't belong to you, to take something illegally, or to switch. Have you ever heard of the term bait and switch? Like you go to a car dealership, you know, for example, and they'll, you know, present something that's really nice, and then they'll, they'll switch it on you, and then you end up purchasing what you don't want. Something like that. And so this, that's a kind of a good example of, of Jacob. And so when the parents saw Jacob holding onto his brother's heel, they, they named him Jacob. In, in, in the Jewish, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's Yaakov. Right? See, look at me. All cultural, right? Yaakov. That's Jacob. 
That's Jacob. That's the way they say it over there. And so, but it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Jacob grew up living up to this name. I mean, he fulfilled this name. He was conniving. He was sneaky. He was dishonest. And he became a con artist. He was very uh, visionary. And when he saw something that he wanted, he did whatever it took to get it. And you know what? He got those things. He was very successful, but it wasn't always honest the way he got it. So Jacob always wanted more and more. How many can relate to that? How many? It's okay to want, right? Yeah, yeah. So I see y'all spiritual people. Well, no, you know. God knows my heart. All right, whatever. You know you want that new car. Al save that one for me. That Audi. One day I'm going to walk up on that lot and be like, yo, I want that one. And so, but that was Jacob. He did whatever it took to get what he wanted. And so there's one situation that you might know of where Jacob steals his older brother Esau's birthright and blessing. And those two different things. I don't have time to really go into the, the differences of those. But, but he was always making deals and trying to shortchange people so that he can get the better end of the deal. And so his birthright, he trades for a, a bowl of stew. You know, his, so Esau, the Bible says he was a skilled hunter. He was a man of the fields. I mean, he was, he was a man's man. It's, the Bible says when he was born, he was red. That's strange. But he was hairy, <laughs> right? And then it's interesting, if you read the Bible, when it talks about uh, Jacob, it says he was a man of the tent. In other words, he liked to stay inside the house, right? And so that would be code word for mama's boy. All right, okay, you guys are getting this now. So imagine the competition, but Jacob would, would not go down without a fight. So he tricked his brother, who he knew was famished and wanted to eat, and so he happened to be cooking inside the house. And his brother comes in, he says, I'm starving. He goes, yo, give me your birthright, and I'll give you a bowl of stew. He says, okay, and he does it. He gets his birthright. And then he takes it even further with his dad who was blind, is impaired, and he walks in, and he's got this fake fur on, you know, acting like he's all hairy. He's acting like his brother, and his dad says, who are you? Who's, wh which son is this? And he says, I'm Esau. He lies, and he says, come so I can give you my blessing. So he shows up. He feels the fur, and he goes, yeah, this is the hairy guy that I know, and he blesses him, and he pronounces the blessing on him. So he walks away with two things that shouldn't be his. And so this, as you can imagine, causes all kinds of craziness in the life of Jacob. All his dishonest dealings, all his trickery, all his sly, sneaky, sneaky stuff that he was doing. Imagine having to live with that. And so the first thing I think that we can relate with is Jacob had to wrestle with just life. Anybody here feel like you just have to wrestle through life sometimes? Life isn't always easy, is it? And so Jacob, sometimes that's self-inflicted, and then sometimes it has things involved that you had nothing to do with. And so there's a part of this story where uh, Jacob, who was, we know is, you know, conniving, and so he wants to marry Rachel, so he goes to Laban, who's going to be his future father-in-law. He says, I want to marry your daughter. He says, sure, go ahead. He brings the wrong daughter out on purpose. Okay? 
Oh, by the way, when he stole his brother's blessing, guess who helped him? His mom. Look at somebody say, it runs in the family, don't it? And so you just see all this stuff. And so, you know, it's almost like karma was being served. And, you know, I know Christians don't believe in karma, but in the biblical language, it would be sowing and reaping. He's, he, he was, he was uh, reaping what he sowed. All that stuff he did, all of a sudden is coming back. He wants to marry this one particular girl, and the father brings out the wrong girl on purpose. They get married, and he's like, okay. You know, the, the, the father says, if you want to marry, still want to marry her, you got to work for me for a few more years, which he does, and he winds up with two wives. Now, before you think, whoa, married men, how many of you will admit that one wife is already a handful? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Look at some of the men are like, they're like winking at me. I can't raise my hand, but yeah, I'm with you. Imagine two women mad at you. Imagine two women wanting something and telling you every second until they get it. Imagine two women telling you to do something and you go to do it and they still try to tell you how to do it. Imagine two women angry, which by the way, my wife is none of those. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, 15. <clears throat> he says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And so Jacob was, was like that. All of a sudden, things in Jacob's life begin to turn. So he creates a mess of his life. He's wrestling now with his life. One of the biggest mistakes he makes of course, is stealing his brother's birthright, and that created such a huge situation. He had to run because his brother was a good fighter. And he was like, nope, I'll take the birthright and the blessing, and I'm getting out because I don't want to deal with that. And he didn't have any relation with his brother because he knew his brother wanted to kill him. And so Jacob ran to avoid facing all of these problems, and that's a characteristic of Jacob. Sometimes we find ourselves running to avoid the real situation, hoping that it'll go away. And it doesn't always work that way, does it? And so whatever it is, just like Jacob, if you have made things messy for you in any particular area of your life, I want you to know that God is right there in the middle of your mess. And he's okay with it. Because if there's anybody who can fix it, it's him. The next struggle that you might relate with is that Jacob began to wrestle with himself. Anybody here ever beat yourself up for making a bad decision or doing something wrong? How many have ever spent a lot of money on something and later on you're going, I should not have done that? Again, we're just being holy. We're not raising our hand. It's okay because Jesus knows anyway. But going back to the idea of Jacob grabbing the heel of Esau, there's a lot of symbolism here that I don't want you to miss out on. If you think about it, the heel is one of the most calloused parts of your body. It's one of the most protected and covered parts of your body. So the very fact that, that 
Jacob was reaching and holding onto the heel is very telling. Jacob would, would, you know, you wonder, Jacob, how can, how can he do something like this to his own family? Well, he was very calloused. It wasn't hard for him. It was easy. Matter of fact, he did it and never stopped. I'm sure his track record was crazy when it came to these things. But he was always insecure, never wanting to, to face with the, crea- the situation he created. And so he was always on the run, always scared, always protecting himself. It was about him, always about him. And sometimes when we have this attitude of it always being about us, that's what it looks like to grab somebody else's heel. If somebody else is going to do better, you say, no, I want it. You, know, you guys remember that uh, uh, Finding Nemo, that cartoon years ago? Remember Finding Nemo? And there was that uh, one uh, part where all these seagulls were all over the place. Do you remember what the seagulls were saying? Mine, mine, come on, let's all do it. Mine, 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 mine. That was Esau's attitude. That's why he was grabbing his brother's heel. And that's the attitude he took with everybody else in life. Before you get ahead, no, I want it. Everything's about me, what I want. The grabbing of the heel was indicative of greed and selfishness which I know none of us here ever, ever, ever go through because we're just that kind of church. But we already read that they jostled in the room, uh, in the womb, right? They wrestled in the womb, but the, the grabbing of the heel was a foreshadowing of the way he would live the rest of his life. Again, the name was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Remember, it means to usurp or to supplant And so by grabbing the heel, it was very telling. And there's nothing worse than always having a what's in it for me attitude. And that was Jacob. What's in it for me? You don't have to go very far from these doors into this world to realize that everybody is out for me, for themselves. And God doesn't want us to have a me first mentality. He wants us to have a God first Mentality. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added. And so Jacob is having to wrestle with himself. And now here's the last thing I want to say about wrestling with yourself. And here's where things can really, really go bad. In our text, in Genesis 32, in verse 7, it says, then Jacob, think about wrestling with yourself now. Maybe you've been in this place. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So here's what's happening. Of all the things he created, he realizes now that he has to square off with his brother, who's probably bigger than him and stronger than him and probably still wants to kill him. And so he, he sends a squad up ahead of him and he says, hey, tell my brother that he's coming. And then he even planned. He said, look, I'm going to divide everything that I have, my land, my, my flock, all of that, and I'm going to reserve one in case I die and get killed. He doesn't get everything. This is what he was thinking, that I could still die through this. And it says that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in life where you just, you know, in your mind you're thinking, I don't know how I'm getting out of this one. Or I don't know how God is going to help me through this one. You ever had those moments before? 
But here's where things begin to change for Jacob. Uh, And then the last thing Jacob wrestled with. He wrestled with the divine. The Bible doesn't specifically say who this was. I think we could read through the rest of the text and come to the conclusion that it was God because it talks about naming. We'll get into that here in a second uh, if we have time. But Jacob wrestled with the divine. But let me say this. The only way you get to do business with God is when you first come to an end of yourself. And so when Jacob was wrestling with himself, he realized I have nothing else and nowhere else to go. And he had to consider all the things that he did and how he was going to fix it. And for the very first time, he's seeing the layers being peeled away from his life. And he's thinking, I I, I have to deal with this. I can't go any further. So for the first time, he found himself open and vulnerable. And I don't know if you realize this, but that's the best time God can deal with you. That's the best time that God can help you is when you walk into his presence and you say, God, I have nothing. And that's where God wants us to be. So after he reaches that point, he gets this moment. The Bible says in verse 22, it says the same night he arose and took his two wives. We'll deal with that in another series. He took his two wives. Two wives are not a blessing. God never blessed it in the Bible, even though some of these characters had multiple wives. Uh, He took his two female servants. Somebody in here is going, I like this church. Took his two wives, his two servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. Verse 23, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Whenever you come to God, especially for something that is a serious situation, you will always be standing by yourself. I remember before I gave my life 100% to God, I was kind of living my faith off of my sister. If people were to ask me, I'd be like, yeah, I'm Christian. I go to church with her. If they were to ask me, I'd say, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I, I pray, I pray, you know, in, in, in her house. It had nothing to do with me. It always had to do with somebody else. And, and so maybe you have been drugged here by a friend or a family member. Or maybe you're constantly being invited by somebody else. So maybe you show up thinking, God, that was enough, wasn't it? Okay, leave me alone for a couple of months. Let me say this. You can't live your faith off somebody else's. And so Jacob finds himself here finally for the first time vulnerable and alone. And because he's alone, God sends a divine moment. The Bible tells us that he was existentially alone. Like there was nobody else. He had nothing else. And again, that's the best place for you to do business with God. This is where transformational change takes place. And when we talk about soul care, when we talk about um, emotional health and spiritual health, the way God is going to help you is when you come to the end of yourself and you admit the things that are going on here going on up here. You go to any counseling session and you try to deny something that's really happened, that counselor will tell you we're not getting anywhere. 
But the moment you realize it and you say, yes, yes, that is my thing, that is my problem, once you own up to that, they say, okay, now we can work. This is what was happening with Jacob. So God sends this, this divine being. And again, this was the turning point for Jacob. He comes to a moment where he's by himself. He has this aha moment like, wow, okay, this is it's now or never. It's either going to be fixed now or it won't be fixed ever. So he's vulnerable. Let me continue in the verse. In verse 24, uh, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day was broken. This, this spiritual being was telling Jacob, let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Think about the blessing. Didn't Jacob already have enough blessing? Didn't he already steal enough blessing? You might wonder, what is this blessing he's talking about? I believe that Jacob was saying, the blessing that I want is to be free. I want this to be fixed. I'm not letting you go until you help me fix this situation. This mess that I've created, this mess that I've been living with, this mess that I've been having to carry, this mess that I've sometimes have had to hide, that, that nobody else really knows about. And then when things go wrong, I flee and I run and I do it all over again somewhere else. And he says, I'm not leaving until I get this blessing. And it's interesting. Uh, he says, let me go for the day is broken. He said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. And then he said to him, what is your name? Now here's where I, I start to conclude that this, was, this being was God himself. I don't think it was an angel. He said, what is your name? And Jake, he said, Jacob. My name is Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Now what you don't realize here is there was no nation of Israel before Jacob. And when he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, you will no longer be a deceiver. You will no longer be a thief. You will no longer trick. You will no longer switch and be sneaky. You no longer, your name is now going to be Israel. Jacob was the beginning of that whole entire nation. Now think of this. If you were going to choose somebody to start a nation off right, would it have been Jacob? Probably not. But for God, he said, you're good enough. I can use you. And so all the mess that he carried and went through, God says, you know what? I can, I can handle that. From this day forward, your name is changed. And then, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Things are coming to my mind. Let me finish the verse first. Um, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men. Striven with God and with men. We live in a very real world where we strive with men. We strive with life. But there comes a point when God corners you and he says, I don't care about everybody else right now. Who am I to you? That's what we have to decide. Every day when we wake up, we have to decide, who is Jesus and are we going to follow him? And then Jacob asks him, please, 
tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he never answers him. It just says, there he blessed him. So he goes, why are you asking for my name? Here, blessing. You know what I think? I think Jacob knew exactly who it was, so he didn't have to answer. That's why I think this was God that he was wrestling with. That God would take a moment out to spend time with a person. And he's willing to do the same thing with you and me today. Verse 30, so Jacob called the name of the place Paniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. When we're going through something that is so crucial and pressing, and we feel like there's no way out, we're crying out to God to deliver me. I need out, and I don't know how. This is what Jacob was going through. And it says, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Let me say this, that when you spend time with God, people will know it because you will not walk the same as everybody else. And so it says that God touched him. And if you say, well, let me ask the question first, has God touched you? Because if he has, we'll know it by the way that you walk, by the way that you follow him, we'll know. The blessing that Jacob was looking for was the release. It was freedom. Now here's another insight as I close. Um, let's see, I need a musician here as I close. There's a word in this passage that has two meanings. The meaning, well actually three. This is something else that I learned during my trip to Israel. I'm, I'm trying to, as I was putting this together, I was trying to recall everything, but it's just very telling to me. But one of the words in this passage means dirt. It means dirt. That tells me that as you do business with God and you start to bring out some of that dirt that you have, it can get messy, can't it? But God is okay. The same word has a dual meaning, and it means to, it means to embrace. And so where we live in a world where we don't want to experience hardship, the moment something comes against us, what is the first thing we do? God, help me. Take this away. Right? We try to do everything for our children so that they don't have to, to suffer. Right? So that things don't get hard for them. And sometimes that's the best thing for them. And so in this passage, when we think about Jacob and we think about all the dirt and the junk and the mess that he created... And how painful it was, sometimes that pain can be the best gift that God has ever given you. And sometimes you need to embrace what it is. Sometimes there is no easy way out. But God does something in the middle of it. And so that's, if you go in Jewish culture, they'll look at this different than us. Where we want to just be delivered and out. They say, no, no, there is something real about embracing what happened and coming to grips and being honest with what happened. And I'm telling you, if we're going to find freedom, sometimes we have to be honest about ourselves. It's a picture that life is messy. As real as life can be, it can be messy. 
in confronting our struggles and our pains. Sometimes it's messy business. But we have to embrace it. Embrace the struggle. Sometimes even embrace the pain. Because when you get rid of the distractions, when you're all alone and you can see what God is doing, like I said earlier, sometimes pain is a divine gift that God gives to us to help us discover who we really are. And that's what happened to Jacob. After he confronted everything and he realized, man, I can't hide it anymore. And he realized there needed to be change. But he went to God with nothing. That's what happened to Jacob. He endured and he embraced the struggle. And then God touched him. And when God touches you, you can't hide it. Now, I'm going to pray in a second, but I'll leave you with this. We have this phrase that you hear in the Old Testament or throughout the Bible over and over and over. And I hope this, is, this encourages you because it encourages me. But you hear the phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. If it were me, Jacob was the bad guy. Remember, the Bible, the Bible says he changed his name. Why doesn't it say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? That was the good version. That was the better version. Why does the Bible not say that? The reason why is because God is okay with your mess. He's okay with your mess. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God can use anybody he chooses and anybody he wants to, but it starts with freedom first. Can we stand to our feet? I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you for this example that you give us of this, of this character, Jacob, of this rascal who just everywhere he went, he caused messes. He messed everything up. Everything he did was a bad decision. He had a messy life. But despite that, you chose him to birth a nation. Jacob was the beginning of this nation, Israel. And God, I know that if you can birth a nation through Jacob, I can only imagine what you can birth through us. And so, Father, I thank you today that, Lord, you have plans and you have purposes for us and you want to use us. And, Lord, you have things that even our minds can't even conceive. But, Lord, we don't discount you. And, Father, we don't doubt you. And we say, not that you need permission, but, Lord, we say, yes, do as you please in us and in our lives. Now, I just want to pray for some of you. If you're here today and, and somehow some, something in this story of Jacob is resonating with you. And maybe there's a situation in your life and it's just messy. You just don't even understand it. How in the heck did this even happen? Or maybe you do understand and be like, yeah, I had something to do. I had something to do with it. God, I messed up. And it makes sense. But then there's some of you who, you're like, I, I had nothing to do with this. And why am I having to go through this? And why am I having to, to deal with this? I want you to know that God sees it. And sometimes before God removes it, he wants to walk with you through it 
Because sometimes he can accomplish more when he has your attention. And so if you're going through that right now, something like that, just raise your hand. I want to pray for grace for you. That's first. If that's okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Father, just we thank you. Matter of fact, let's just all just lift our hands. Let's just join them. At some point, we're probably going to go through something. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you're the God who controls everything. Uh, Father, you're the God that is okay with messy situations. Lord, it doesn't throw you off. But Lord, if we find ourselves in these places, Lord, whether it's something emotional, Lord, whether it's something relational, maybe it's something financial, uh, Lord, maybe it's uh, something health-wise. I don't know. But Lord, it's, it's too heavy for us. We weren't designed to carry these things, but you were. You said to roll these cares over on you. And so, Father, we do that today because, Lord, we know that you're, you're, you're enough. You're strong enough. You can do it. But, Lord, give us the grace as we walk through whatever you're doing. And, Lord, I thank you that there are ways out and that you're never late and you're always right on time. So, Father, where we can't, where we try to hasten something or we try to speed it up or quicken, Lord, help us just to have grace to walk through the place where we're at. And if there's anybody here dealing with uh, an addiction, Lord, I pray that you, again, give grace. But Lord, if it be your will to supernaturally break it, whatever it may be, uh, oh God, and so maybe you know somebody. Lord, we just stand in for them, and Lord, we just intercede for them. Lord, I ask you for freedom, uh, Lord, in those, whatever areas those are. And Lord, just emotionally, Father, we don't want to discount who you are. Lord, I pray that you help us to be uh, internal, to look uh, introspectively, and to just see whatever is in there that, Lord, we need to address. And, Lord, no matter how messy it is or how bad it looks, Father, let us bring it to you and lay it at your feet, Father, and to let you work through it. Lord, give us the grace. Lord, let, this, let today be the beginning of something brand new in our lives as we go through the rest of this series. Father, I, start, I pray you start to bring uh, healing, I pray you start to bring freedom. I pray you start to bring life. I, I pray you start to revive and resurrect things that have died in us. Father, I pray just an, an infusion of brand new faith in us today so that we can see what happens next. Because, Lord, we know you have plans. And regardless of who we are, what we are, where we've been, you can use us. So, Father, thank you. Lord, we just declare our faith in you. Father, and our trust that you can do all things. Lord, we uh, just uh, speak blessing over the, this church and over these people. In Jesus' name, amen.